Hello, I'm Dan Benjamin, and you're listening to Technology Replacement Therapy, a podcast where I talk to my good friend Jason Hoffman about our lives. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right. Oh. How's everything going? Fine. I just did my little morning wake up routine. Yeah, stretching, you know, flossing the body, that thing. That thing. Yeah. 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 I read that. More... I read that post that you wrote about that. Uh, did I? Yeah. Yeah. It's on um oh. your your website. Jason Hoffman.blog and it's um let's see. I th- think it's called is it called Start with something physical? No. No, yeah. stop yeah, it. Yeah. Stop. Stop it. No, stop I read it. this. I read it. I thought it was important. It was good. Yeah. And it got me into the habit of doing it. I really gotta Yeah, on one hand I gotta post there more, but I really post there out of guilt. So <laughs> Out of guilt. What don't we do out of guilt at our age? I guess consistently guilts me into posting. (laughs) Yeah. No, it was it was actually really interesting. Can I can I just read this one thing? I'm not making fun. I'm being serious. Okay. Okay. Um. So you're you're starting where you one of the things that it's important you say is a daily physical practice where you can get moving without having to think, and you continue. I start every day with the same warm-up routine for two to 10 minutes that flosses out the body. And like, what the hell is that? I never heard that before. So I Googled flossing out the body, which it turns out is not just something you made up. (laughs) It's it's actually, it's actually a thing. Okay. That's good. So then I like started like a little like morning stretch thing. It's been great. I've been doing it for um, a couple months now. Um, do you think I'm messing with you? I'm being serious. No, it's it's no, really no. nice. You, you're helping people. It's it's very nice. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I do a little bit more than just flossing in the morning. I mean, like what I largely added to it was jumping. Yeah, you just start jumping. Uh, uh, no, like the same same. I mean, like my morning thing now is pretty. I mean, like I you know I wake up and my hands are you know, like just sort of stiff. So then it's just almost like the kind of warm up you would do to get ready to do handstands. Oh yeah. Do that real quick. And then I hang from a bar, uh, which I don't know if you do much where you you just get on a pull up bar and you just hang from it until it feels like a bunch of stuff is tearing. And then, um, (laughs) (laughs) which depending on your, on your conditioning might be immediately, or it might be five minutes later. Yeah, like I just try to go full, you know, just sort of full primate on it, you know, meaning get on, I don't even, I almost said full monkey on it. I don't know if I can even say monkey anymore, but, you know, I go full primate on the thing. No, I think where full primate is. I try to at least um, um, hang from, you know, basically swing and hang from one arm and rotate that and swing the next arm up, hang from the other arm. And yeah. so, you know, honestly, even just working up to being able to do hangs from one hand is um feels quite quite sort of good and then my my persistent issue if there's anything that gets sort of strained on my lower body is my adductors Mm -hmm. aka the the groin muscles yeah so then i gotta just uh get those stretched out and i do uh you know i grab like a like a five kilogram weight and i do side planks and i just sort of rotate through on that that feels real nice and then I just um, then I just do a series of three jumps. So I I sit on a box and do a sitting broad jump, right? You know, which that on it. You know, the funny part is like honestly, um, just seeing how your body feels in the morning when you're jumping and whether you warm up to jumping mm-hmm. uh, is probably one of the it's become one of the better things for for me as I've gotten older. And then. Um, so I just do a sitting broad jump and you can grab a medicine ball or something if you want, but I just do a sitting broad jump mm-hmm. where you sit on a box and then you, you jump as far as you can. And, and, uh, I have like pre laid out lines in the gym where, okay, you know, say it's, that's, you know, six plus feet out and, you know, I got to at least jump, jump the height and that kind of thing. Right. And then, uh, I do ninja jumps which literally is what they're called. I mean, I always feel silly saying them, but it's just where you jump on a box and jump off and you just go real light on your toes. Yeah. Off, off, off. And then uh, depth jumps, 
jump off a big box and then immediately jump onto another box. Um, and then at least in the home gym, I have a, what's called a reverse hyper. Swing your legs out to do that. Um, and I got another contraption called an MR-19. You strap your feet in and it. Oh yeah. Down, I've done that thing. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. And then a um, little bit of neck stuff. Yeah. You know, it takes, I don't know, 20 minutes. Um, 30 if I grab coffee or something like that. But it just takes 20. It's just a 20 minute thing in the morning. And then that's just, uh, and then, um, then generally I try to do some cardio a little bit later. I lift weights around lunchtime. I go to judo in the evening. Is this pretty consistent for you every day? Five days a week, seven days a week, three days a week? The morning thing I do every morning. Yeah. Um, cardio stuff I do six days a week. Yeah. Uh, I, I lift weights six days a week. And then, um, cause those are also very portable. Like if I'm traveling, I can do. Them. Yeah. Um, and then, um, the sort of, you know, wrestling or judo is dependent on kids and whether I'm in town or not. But, um, you know, when I took like a, a year off, I was doing it six days a week too. Yeah. So yeah, it was my year of trying to live like almost, almost live like a pro athlete, you know, yeah. just work out yeah. three or four times a day. Yeah. But how much, I mean, yeah, let's, let's uh, lay it out there. How much weight did you lose? Oh, versus the fattest I've ever been? Yeah. Oh, um, 70 pounds. Dang. I mean, that's something. Yeah. I mean, it's a 10 year old. <laughs> right. That's a, that's a child, the child. Amount yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, really, you know, the funny part was, I was like, um, um, that was just that was sort of this thirty-five to almost. It almost happened. I mean, when I think about it, I mean, my second daughter was born in two thousand nine. Mm -hmm. I just, I spent five the first five years of her life. I just blossomed. <laughs> you just ballooned up. You mean is that what you mean by blossoming? <laughs> yeah, like when my oldest was born, you know, I was, I was still like I just finished my PhD in San Diego mm -hmm. and was just um that's around the time we met right a little a few years after yeah. that yeah. yeah yeah i mean yeah 20 years ago yeah um yeah we were poor i mean just like poor poor grad student yeah poor post. <laughs> but it didn't feel poor because you know it was a subsidized university housing for 750 dollars a month it was on the beach in la jolla kind of thing. yeah right the, the the poorest you know wealthy life anyone's ever had oh yeah but when you just think back to um like who's who's driving around in the honda civic the yeah. old honda yeah yeah a friend of mine like, was just telling me the other like, day uh he was saying that that you know I, he's he's a it's a very senior kind of software developer type guy and he yeah. you know he makes he makes great money and he was telling me he's like you know i'm i'm, I'm completely miserable I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah. He's like, I make more money than I ever made in my life. Uh, and he's like, I think back to when I was, you know, living, I made $17,000 a year and I lived in a tiny little apartment and I was the richest man in the world. I had everything that I wanted. I did everything I wanted. Uh, you know, he like, he taught, he taught ballroom dancing, <laughs> but it's, um, you know, it's, it's like it, there is a there is a certain value to that kind of freedom to being able to have the freedom to do what you want to do. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I don't I don't know what to, I mean I, I get that. One thing I'm super sensitive of is whether I sound like a I don't want to I don't want to sound like old people sounded when I was growing up. How well? How do you know that like that's not inevitable? Any any ha any yeah, any hint of nostalgia? Yeah, <laughs> like looking back. Looking back oh, and yeah. thinking that something was better, you're immediately like back in back in my day, it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, if so, things if somebody, were better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if somebody's sitting there and it's, I remember when I was making making seventeen thousand dollars a year and teaching ballroom dancing, that's yeah. the happiest ever was. I mean, yeah. there's a yeah. in that sense, yeah, a lot. Oh yeah. So, um, and then, um, yeah, I, I just because I don't. Um, 
when I was, I did my PhD at UC San Diego and probably it, it took six years. Mm -hmm. And the last two years we had Madison, my oldest daughter, mm -hmm. and I had no sidekicks at all. Yeah. I really like had to get just a tremendous amount of work done. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, meaning she was going to bed at seven or 8 PM. I was going to bed with her yeah. and then I'd be at 1 AM I'd go running for 50 minutes and then head to the lab at 2 AM and be there until lunchtime, come home for lunch. And then, you know, head back, do an afternoon there, yeah. you know, a meeting from like one thirty to four to like wrap stuff up, you know, like, I mean, it was, it was, it was a lot of work. And, um, so I was only living off of the grant for those two years. Oh man. Um, the previous four years, like how old were you? That's, uh, that was from 28 to 30. Okay. And then before that it was, it was, um, because uh, I did like a bachelor's degree in biochemistry from UCLA, then a master's degree, and then I went down to UC San Diego mm -hmm. for, for the PhD program. And um, but in that first four years, like I had, you know, I was still teaching like uh, MCAT classes. I was like had a teaching assistant. So basically, it was like think of the grant money being like twelve hundred bucks a month. Mm -hmm. And I made like another. Um you know, two grand a month teaching. And then, um, you know, websites were new. I made a website called sciedit.com. And so I was editing papers from people and started doing stuff, you know, uh -huh. make 500 bucks to edit a paper. Yeah. It's pretty, you know, like you have a lot of people from all over the world that are trying to publish their scientific work and they're in mm -hmm. San Diego and stuff like that. So, I mean, I ended up doing hundreds and hundreds of papers that way. So I was, you know, it's like, so the kind of thing where, you know, um, um, you know, I've been basically in those last two years, I had to take like a 75% pay cut, if you will, to like, mm -hmm. we were poor, poor. I mean, it was painful, poor, like 152 pounds poor. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I have no, no nostalgia about that at all i mean that was yeah. like that was that was an abject like even that lesson which i don't think that was the lesson they were trying to teach me in graduate no. <laughs> but like the lesson i got was there's no way that i can like i'm gonna stay a working scientist there's right. like no way. right right um those Not two years i came out of those two years and it like ignited every entrepreneurial mm-hmm tendency in my body because it was like oh no you need to go make your own money do your own thing own the customer have the idea get sort of going yeah um <clears throat> because being that poor sucked and we weren't even poor poor right you know meaning like um you know we could um uh i mean we had a place to live yeah we were some behind on rent yeah. But it was a university place. So, you know, they were, they were, you know, okay. Yeah. They understood. They knew when the grant check came in, which for some reason, why would it come in on the seventh of the month? I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. Other than it just basically fuck with graduate students, like just sit around and be like, hey, you know, this was a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you spelled out PhD, it would just be pronounced fucked. <laughs> you know? So it's true. Right. I mean, yeah. like, what letters would you put in between the PhD? Yeah. 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 So, I don't know. Um, sometimes we couldn't always gas up the car. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, you know, getting 50 bucks from, you know, some, you know, selling my blood, you know. So oh, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. The quick and easy way to no. make 50 bucks is to donate your plasma. Exactly. <laughs> like that. He <laughs> was doing like, phase one clinical trials so we could go to Trader Joe's, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, I, when I, we, we grew up kind of, I grew up kind of, you know, relatively the same, like rent was usually on time. You know, my mom was teaching English at a high school and, you know, like I remember 
the like we were poor enough like we weren't so poor that we didn't we had to buy like used clothing like we could buy new clothing but the new clothing that we bought was <laughs> was my mom's plan was that i could wear it for several years you know and so like she would take you 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 know you you know i'm not the tallest guy in the world but she anticipated growth so she would buy pants that were too long and she <laughs> she would hem them inside like like i'd have like a 6 inch hem that went over really great. When the hem came out, you almost had these reverse lines. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Those knockers. You yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Like, uh, this is how much I've grown this year or not grown in my case. But I had, a, yeah, I had a strategy for that. <laughs> was I was, I was putting corduroys a lot. Yeah. These were corduroys too. These were corduroys. You just got to wear a patch in the corduroys somewhere else. <laughs> That's right. So it's not about right, the knee patch just kind of slowly moves up higher on your leg as you grow. <laughs> but, you know, I think, I, I mean, when I, we never had enough money for me to like get things really. And so, you know, when I turned 13, if you had a parent's uh, approval signature, you could work. This was in Florida. And so, of course, Burger King, Burger King, you know, that was, that was where I went to work. Nice. And I got a, my mom signed permission for me to start working at 13 because the regular age was 14. So on yeah. the day after my 13th birthday, which was a Sunday, is my, was my first day of Burger King. And I mean, I took this very seriously. <laughs> like this was, this was like, I had a job and like, this was $3 and 15 cents an hour i think yeah and i mean you got one of the cool perks about working at burger king at this time was that you would get a discounted meal if you worked you know three hours or more oh yeah so at the end of my shift for like two dollars and fifty less than an hour less than an hour of my time you could get like a burger french fries and a, a coke and this was like I'm I'm living large with this thing, but I, I that job was horrible. It was like the worst job. But I'll tell you what, it absolutely gave me like any time that I have to do something for work where I'm sitting there thinking like this sucks. I I will in my mind I will go back to being at Burger King and standing behind the broiler and pulling the frozen patties out with my you know thirteen year old fingers and putting them up on the conveyor belt to flame broil them. And how we weren't allowed to take breaks. I wasn't allowed to take a drink of water, like nothing. Yeah. And I'm like, there is no job that I could possibly have now that would ever make me as unhappy as I was standing behind that broiler, you know? And it's kind of like a nice reset sometimes. It's kind of like you're like, oh, this is going to be a pain in the ass. And then you're like, well, at least, at least I'm not behind the fucking broiler anymore. So. Now you're understand. able to, you know, fit workouts in and, and, and actually have a life nowadays, especially like working from home has changed all of that. And now so many people work from home that they're converting the office buildings into apartments. Have you if read about can. that? If they can. Yeah. 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 I saw a thing too. that I think it's only like 10 or 15% of, of these kind of offices can be turned into living quarters. Yeah. Um, cause you have, you have basic issues in offices where I remember one office and this was in, um, it was either in one Embarcadero in San mm -hmm. Francisco or mm -hmm. 350 California, which is the same building that the Mandarin Oriental was in or now the Lowe's hotel mm -hmm. is there. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think it was the one in one Embarcadero where we, we took, we took a whole floor there. We took over from like, a accounting firm or something like it was like kpmg was in there before and this was in the joint days um and um we were like oh we're gonna stick we're gonna stick 100 engineers in this section um and then uh came back that like there's 12 plugs <laughs> you know I mean? so they're like oh we'll like bring right. power trips and we'll do this and we'll do that and they're like oh the the plugs are rated for like literally 480 watts comes out of this plug <laughs> Like it goes to a breaker like this and plug that many, <laughs> that many computers in for people. Like it's, it's going to trip the breaker all the time. Yeah. And so it's like, um, 
So, you know, old, like, and the, the, this is literally like when you're in San Francisco, it's the ferry building and it's one Embarcadero, two Embarcadero, three Embarcadero. Mm, 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 mm. It's like those big Embarcadero buildings, the mall on the bottom. Yeah. So you go, okay. So literally like offices that have historically been basically out of an episode of Mad Men. Right. Um, I just need guys working on laptops. Right. And <laughs> getting it so that even just to have... And this is people spread out all over the world. Like people live in luxuriously. Right. You know, meaning like uh, um, even with a third of the people we wanted to put in a given space. Yeah. People are doing things like um, we're coming to work with like six or seven laptop batteries <laughs> and and doing things like maybe we should swip, switch off a Mac so we could, you know. Is a swap the battery. Swap the batteries right. out. You know, right. And stuff like that. <laughs> So, but this was also still the period of time where you'd you'd flip over your. Pretty sure, yeah, you'd flip over like even the the seventeen inch the selling point of the seventeen inch Mac as you flipped it over and the battery would still yeah, pop you out. Yeah, could remove the battery on that one. You know so, how, how we re, like totally rejected the idea of like a non replace user replaceable battery and how it, like that was like what I'll never buy an iPhone if you can't replace a battery yourself because we were so used to batteries being really really horrible and having to swap them multiple times in a day one of the big selling points of the power book uh the mac power book was that yep. it had these sort of two on the left and the right under the keyboard it had these two sort of docks where you could put it normal configuration was it had a cd-rom or a dvd on one side and it had the battery on the other but you could be like super cool and buy a second battery and oh, yeah. pull That's out you know, the, the DVD ROM, which you probably didn't even need except to load software and put a second okay. battery and you'd be like, I, I can go like three to four hours now untethered. Like it was amazing. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember it was like, um, I got a, let me see. I got a American express card. In yeah. College. Cause you know, I was teaching, you know, I was teaching on the side. Yeah. Yeah. Since 1995. Yeah. Nice. Right. And so one of the, th one of the, one of the gigs I had when I was a, at least a undergraduate student was, uh, I did like really well in organic chemistry in the biochemistry class. Yeah. And they had a, um, at the student bookstore, they had a note taking service. Yeah. You could come and for like eight bucks, you could buy notes there. <clears throat> um, you could buy notes from any class. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, basically, and it had to be like a big enough class. The The economics of this had to support it, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, but long story short, like the student union would employ a note taker for a given That's class. That's fantastic. To, to take notes. And you had to have taken the class before. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, or it had to be like the second or third series in it, and you had to be sort of established on that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and, uh, and there was occasionally competition with the professor themselves, depending on the professor, like Professor Charlie West at UCLA and biochemist was amazing, but he provided amazing notes to the students. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can even come get them from them afterwards and that kind of thing. But, uh, but one of my little side gigs was taking notes. And so I really, um, decided to like up that game. Yeah. You know? will because um uh you know i got a, a, a power book 150 mm -hmm. and a power book like 180 and then you know i got a little green american express card because they're getting those in campus and then i got a thing from them saying like oh for 80 dollars a month you get a power book 3400 c you know the color one. Oh, nice and um and i was like that was amazing um and um so you know i literally got him draw on there and like i mean i like upped the notes game mm -hmm. and like from a literally for a good solid three years when it came to organic chemistry notes and biochemistry 153a and 153c at ucla like i owned the notes market mm -hmm. like if you were taking those classes you're reading my notes nice what i mean yeah um and um and then i ended up TAing those two when mm -hmm. I was doing like master's degree there. So then it was like, then it was also like the only notes 
wrong. Like this is this is the historically present note taker mm -hmm. is now the PA for the class too. So they were like, Mwah. you know, they'd gone through a couple different iterations. It was great. It was all produced on a power book. Yeah. That's you know. pretty cool. Yeah, I just plowed all that note taking money back into making sure that I had I had like the great little laser printer, you know, from from Apple. Yeah. I went from fifty to one eighty to thirty four hundred C. Yeah, I mean, we forget Apple used to make printers. Like they were, that was a big thing for them making a printer, and it would it would work oh, with I mean, your computers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when I got, I ended up getting. What was great about one of the grants I had as a graduate student is it included overhead in it, and so um, you know, meaning like they would pay you a certain amount, but then the university got paid to have you be present, and then there was money that was carved out for you to like buy stuff and you had a payment code and so mm -hmm. you literally just roll into the bookstore and be like <laughs> i'm taking this payment code right um and um it basically you know allowed for me to always have you know photoshop from the very beginning and adobe frame maker from mm -hmm. the very beginning mm -hmm. and you know, keep sort of the um um so like you know when you know when the first ibook came out with the little handle that yeah. came out of, yeah but that was all like I managed to basically spend either the note taking money or grant money and always sort of kept, you know, up to date on, you know, the sort of latest computer, which, which, you know, in hindsight was pretty helpful because then I ended up working on computers right. for a living. Yeah. I was like, but, um, but yeah, the 3400C baby. <laughs> I mean, that was a, it was a beast back then. You know, I think I remember my friend went to college in Lynchburg, Virginia, and he hated the cold. And he, hated, I'm like, where are you going there? He's like, well, they'll they'll give me a laptop. He's <laughs> like, they're giving me a laptop. Like, I can keep it. I'm like, yeah. What if you fail out? He's like, they they let you keep it. That was like how he decided what university <laughs> to go to. It was a big deal back then having a computer or a laptop or anything like that. Hundred percent. But you know, when I, 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 you mentioned, you're saying like that was some of those things were kind of what pushed you to like become an entrepreneur. And I think, you know, I think growing up and, and not having things, mm. that's like the biggest, I, the one thread that I hear over and over and over again from people who are entrepreneurial or, or started their own things or just have that drive to do something different over and over again they'll oh, always say like oh i we were poor as kids or we didn't have this or we didn't have that and and then you know if if you have a decent amount of success and your kids aren't raised that way i often wonder like would it would my kids be entre more entrepreneurial or or, or want to work more or whatever or try harder in school if they had less stuff it's not like i spoil them but like you know they're we're definitely not poor the way i was growing up yeah, but that, but that argument's a similar argument too. You have to beat your children to make sure they're disciplined, right? Obviously not. Yeah, obviously not. So, um, you know, it's it's. Um, uh, no, I think that's all silly. Yeah. I mean, generally, when I find people have money and they're unhappy, they were unhappy when they were poor too. Yeah. I mean, you know, meaning they're they're not uh, anybody who argues that money doesn't make things easier. Oh yeah, it's just it's just dumb, right? I mean, it makes everything easy. Really. It, it um, um, yeah. You just got to sort of re re reframe it, even if it's just peace of mind. You know, knowing that, like, well, if this thing breaks, I can I can fix it. If my or getting you know, my or daughter getting gets sick, I can pay for the doctor. Like the basic stuff. Yeah, which the uh, that's a good example of something that's gotten gotten even worse in America. Yeah, and um. The, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, my, my, my kids are growing up very differently than how Min Jung and I grow up, but mm -hmm. I think it's positive. I mean, you know, in the sense of, um, um, I just pick there, there's, there's still certain things I want them to learn. So I have them do stuff, you know, they can either go to wrestling with me, go to judo with me because those are the sports that I do and mm -hmm. have done. And, um, and, um, 
you know, or something similar, you know, meaning like I make my kids all do a sport that includes a combat sparring element where it's you against another person mm. and you're not always going to win. Yeah. And it does require you to like be mentally and physically present to sort of go and do that. It's uncomfortable and, you know, and everything in there. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, so like all my, all my, all my daughters at least have chosen fencing. So they all fence. That's pretty cool. Uh, and uh, fencing has been um, the number one cause of them crying in life. <laughs> really? Because they oh. hate it or they don't want to do it or they get hurt or. Oh no, they like it. They yeah. love it. They chose it <laughs> amongst many choices. They hate losing. Ah. They lose. You know, and so, um, you know, so it's one of the ones where it's, it's just a place where they go and are taught that you're not always going to get, you're not always, you're not always the most important thing in the room. You're not mm -hmm. always the best person there. Mm -hmm. You're not always a person that's necessarily worked harder. You're not always going to be lucky. Mm -hmm. you're not always going to work out. You know, and then, you know, having that element too, where somebody stabbed you with a sword before you stabbed them with the sword also <laughs> reminds you that like, if this was 200 years ago, yeah, <laughs> this would be the end of it <laughs> or an right? infection or sort of something, you know, and, yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, it's just one of those, um, you know, reminders. And then, you know, some people have children where, you know, they have the sort of exact opposite problem where, you know regardless of them being in a good economic situation, the mm -hmm. kids have self-esteem issues or they have mm -hmm. things about, you know, what this, or they have, you know, um, you know, other, other, other sort of issues. And, and I, and I, and I see that variation even between, uh, between my own kids. I mean, one of the daughters is, um, can be very hard on herself. And then the other ones like messianic, about herself yeah almost yeah you know yeah to the point where you have to wonder if it's an act or not <laughs> um you know where it's just like <laughs> you know it's like how are you doing today it's like oh, i'm great but why are you great because i'm the greatest <laughs> you know <laughs> so yeah um but then again then you go and then she's the she's the one that's in some ways is sort of worse competitively at fencing so then you see that okay that's that's her just talking to herself mm -hmm. and hyping herself up mm -hmm. and having a good positive view in the world it's not pathological because right that, right um you know those kind of things pop up so and and it's funny because when you go and you look at um you know i don't know what you've told your kids to go and do but i mean i've always told them you know particularly I don't know, spending the last 20 years working at the, what I'd like to think of as the cutting edge of, of, of computer science technology. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, just thinking about, okay, when they're older, what, are, what should they be doing for a living? Mm -hmm. And for me, it always came down to, um, you know, a few things, like just basically three things. So one was, we'll get into the business that I'm in and, see if that pops yeah there we go there. get in the business that i'm in um which is working on these things mm -hmm. get into large data sets get into ai get into you know um just get into that the core of that work as deep as you can and you know everything else so you know um go do that because clearly working in the belly of that beast is there's always going to be some work there right it may shift in terms of what it is and but I can almost guarantee that if, if you know data, data structures, mm -hmm. algorithms, mm -hmm. um, you can you can do like the hard architectural creative work, mm -hmm. not necessarily the spitting out of code work. Right. You know, you're not like a human compiler. Um, you know, you're sort of on you're able to do the other the other end of things. Mm -hmm. Um then there, there's always going to be work to do in the space. Um and then the other two, as I said, and then you gotta pick something that um, um, robots aren't going to be good at. And for me, having been... <laughs> right, we, that's like a new thing we have to think about. Like, what won't AI be good at? What won't robots be good at? That's what we, that's what we should focus on doing. Yeah, well, and I, and, I, and I think one of, you know, one of those areas, 
you know, candidly, and people think it's the opposite, but I, I know it's not going to be the case, which is really dealing with all the edge use cases, all the edge cases in surgical environments, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, meaning there is, there is enough of a difference. And, and a lot of the times you end up facing particularly in like, I, you know, um, there's a good chance that you may have robotic augmentation or a tool being used in mm -hmm. it, but you really want, like if you're in a trauma scenario and you're showing up where you've been blown up in some way that's someone who hasn't necessarily been blown up before, you really want a, a human being surgeon there for the foreseeable future. Um, and, um, you know, so there, there are various aspects of, um, you know, being a doctor and in particular being in a surgical field, it's going to be, mm -hmm. uh, so I'm like, go be a surgeon. Um, and, um, I can guarantee, I can guarantee, um, there's going to be, there's going to be work there. Um, and, um, you know, at the very least, you know, cause in surgery, there's always the creation of tools and sort of everything else. Robotics will show up there as a tool based element, but it has the same thing I talked about in the previous one, which is, um, it's going to require a human being, mm -hmm. you know, architect sort of thought, you know, connecting right. things yeah. difficult for them to do. And then, um, and then the third ones I said, you can entertain people. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, people like particularly as their, their time is freed up by other things and if other stuff shows up or, you know, if we're all, everybody ends up on some universal income and we're being taken care of by robots 90% of the time or mm -hmm. sort of something, there's always going to be, a creative element of entertaining people. So the oldest one, you know, she's graduating with theater, you know, degree in theater, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and then, uh, you know, the second one's always talking about being an artist, but, but she, you know, um, says, you know, I got the hands of a surgeon. I will say, you know, and, um, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, the next one down likes computer stuff and always wants to code and, you know, da, 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 dunk and, mm -hmm. you know, can at least sort of, you know, lay out, lay out that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, yeah, those are the three. Yeah. I think, you know, I think you're onto something when you talk about, you know, the kids kind of doing like a self-talk and it's always interesting as to whether they talk to themselves to be, to kind of pump themselves up or whether they're sort of expressing their inner dialogue of like, oh, I'm not very good at that or, you know, or any of that. And like, I don't, I, I, I don't remember feeling any of those things when I was young. Like, I really don't remember, like people will talk to me about like, uh, like I do a show with, with Merlin. Um, and one of the things that we kind of come back to periodically is like the whole idea of like imposter syndrome, like, especially like people who will say, oh man, you know, like I was hired to be the you know, director of this department, like, I don't know what I'm doing. What are they, what are they hiring me to do this job for? I, I've never, I've never like felt that way. Not like I'm thinking I'm good enough to do any job or anything, but I'm like, well, like I'm here. So I must know <laughs> what I'm doing. If, you know, if you're be, if you're being honest and you're doing good work and someone's like, we want to put you in this job, like, that's because you've earned it, you know, because you're, you're good at the things that you do. So I don't really connect with like the whole imposter syndrome thing, but mm -hmm. I think a lot of people do. I think it's a, a thing that happens to a lot of people. And I, I'm not really sure where it comes from because I don't really understand it myself, but you know, I definitely took jobs in, you know, in, in the early part of my career where I'd go in for the interview and they'd say, oh, you know, can, do you know how to do such and such? I'd be like, yeah, of course, like who doesn't? And they'd be like, mm. oh, good. Cause you're going to be doing a lot of that on, on the job. I'm like I got that old hat. And then I'd like on the way home from the interview, if it went well, I'd stop at the bookstore and like get the O'Reilly book on whatever three things they brought up in the interview. But that was, I mean, that was back in the time when like, that was how you learned stuff, you know, like you would buy a book. You would buy a book and you'd sit down, like you'd type in the code into the computer from the book. And mm. that would always seem like, you know, like now there's other ways to do it. You know, you get YouTube videos and you've got master classes and you've got other things like that that can, can help you. But it's also interesting to me because like the, you know, we talk about nostalgia and the old, the old ways. Some of the old ways are fine. Like, like what's getting me on, what's getting me thinking about this actually is the Apple vision pro 
that I guess is available for sale later this week, maybe, or, or soon, very soon. Is that yeah, something day yeah. or the 19th or something like that? Are you yeah. interested in that? Is that something you, you think you're going to be into? If it comes with the flashlight package, I mean, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you know, for me, like I, I you know, they talk can, about like, I can it, thank Joe Rogan for even knowing what a flashlight was. Yeah, well. <laughs> that was one of those. <laughs> you know, but like they talk about how it's, oh, it's this immersive experience. It's immersive. It's immersive. And I'm like, outside's pretty immersive too. If you just go out there sometimes. And, you know, I'm not saying that you can experience what it would be like to live in the Jurassic time period and have a T-Rex kind of crashing through the, the brush next to you. But I think those kinds of things would be pretty cool. But like my goal is, is to do, is to be less in immersed in a computer, you know, computers are tools that I use to do my work and they're very important. And I owe everything that I have to using computers. I'm not maligning them, but there is so much in life that has nothing to do with a screen of any size. And, you know, the idea I remember years and years ago, I was in therapy. This was probably 17 years ago. And my therapist and I, we were talking and I was saying, I mean, you know, she's asking me what, what was going on. And I was, at the time I used to jog a lot. I used to go running a lot. And I said, you know, I like, she's like, oh, do you, do you listen to stuff when you run or do you just enjoy, you know, the experience? And I said, no, no, like I've got to, I've got to listen to something. I'm, you know, and I, I'm always a little worried that, you know, whatever, iPod type device I had at the time. Like I'm always worried it's going to run out of battery. I got to make, you know, make sure I charge it. And she's like, she's like, Oh, well, what, what would happen if you did, if it ran out of battery or what would happen? I'm like, well, then I wouldn't have anything to listen to. She's like, and then what, how horrible would that be? And I was like, you know, you're right. And so like, I stopped for a while, intentionally stopped using anything when I was running. And it taught mm -hmm. me the lesson of like, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of things to be present for. And we almost have this, this thing in our, it's kind of, I don't know if it's, it's reinforced by all the media and things that are out there, but it's almost like we should have, there's this feeling that we should have no mental downtime whatsoever. That if, oh, if you're on your rower, you should be watching something. If you're on a jog, you, sh or you should be listening to something. If you're in the kitchen, there should be music playing. If you're at work, you should be chatting with someone. Like there's always some secondary thing that's sh that we, we feel and I'm including myself in this, that, that we feel we should be doing. And there's nothing wrong with playing music or there's nothing wrong with watching a movie while you row or whatever. But it's almost like it happens so much that we kind of lose track of the fact that we're, what's the real thing that we're actually doing? Like everybody's talked to someone and they kind of pull out their phone and they look at it and they're like, did, did you hear anything that I just said? And they're like, uh, yeah, uh-huh, oh, uh, Wow. That's amazing. I'm like, it's amazing. I thought it was sad. And they're like, it is sad. It is really sad. I'm like, you don't know what I said. And I mean, I, we've all been, I'm guilty of that. We've all been guilty of that. But, you know, we like, I'm watching a movie <laughs> while I row called Patterson that um, it's got Adam Driver in it. And it's one of these movies, my favorite kind of movie that's like a slow burn character development movie where you can watch it and like you watch this hour and a half movie and you're like not that much really happened like one or two things happened but it's really neat because it's a character study and the cinematography is great and you know he i, I won't give away any much about the movie other than to say if if that's your thing it's a great movie to watch mm -hmm. but adam driver's character that he plays whose name is patterson he doesn't have a uh, What's that? Isn't it? You, you see, like you ever see, you see him in SNL. Adam yeah, Driver. yeah, he's fantastic on SNL. The best SNL host. Oh my god, he's he's, he's the best. In there. Yeah. When he best. comes in with the uh, when he's Par Parnassus, the old guy who's the dad. Look at your father. Look at me. <laughs> he's every time. It's so good. But in this movie, he's equally great, and he's he's a poet. And so you kind of get the world through his perspective. He's a bus driver who is also a, like an amateur poet and you get this perspective of his and he's, you know, he walks to work and you just get the sense of time is just very slow for him in a good way. Mm -hmm. 
And he mm. takes the time to look at things. He listens to conversations that people are having and he observes the world. And he, and it's, it's been just making me think about how, like, sometimes I'll be like rushing to get something done. I'm like, why am I rushing to do this? Like I have, I have a whole hour to do this. Why am I rushing? Like what's going to happen if I take my time eating the oatmeal or whatever, you know, like just mm. take your time and like be more, be more present for what's going on. But it's hard. It's hard because we're conditioned. You know, we carry these, these phones around, you know, we have watches that tell us things and, and the idea of like now to further isolate, I know I'm sounding like a really old guy, but like to further isolate ourselves from the world, we now have these visors that we're going to put on over our regular eyes that will show a picture of our eyes to people to, you know, to do, I don't know, like I see the tremendous value of something like that for entertainment, but outside of entertainment, you know, and, and the people that I'm reading on like threads and stuff are saying, yeah, but you know, I, I remember how Apple normalized the behavior of having, you know, AirPods in your ears and, and, you know, the white, the white thing. And, and then eventually the, you know, the big headphones, like the ones we're wearing right now, almost that people wear out, you know, they wear those out as a style statement. Um, and, or in some cases they need them because they have, you know, various issues, but they've normalized that. That's a normal thing now to see someone with really big headphones on or, or wearing a, an AirPod in their ear. And people are saying the same thing's going to be, you're going to see everyone with a visor. Everyone's going to have a visor. And I mean, I don't know, maybe that's great. Maybe it's like, we're going to fix things. But at the same time, like that doesn't sound like something I want. I don't know. Like I feel maybe uh, that's an antiquated perspective, but I don't know. Like the more, the more things, you know, I was watching that Dieter Rams documentary again with my son, which is called Rams. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that he, Dieter Rams famous for those who don't somehow know, uh, famous, uh, designer that worked for Brown uh, building beautiful uh, items and the whole concept of, uh, you know, less but better, where you want to kind of try to reduce something down to its core elements, but do it in a way that's better. But he it doesn't just apply that to design. He wants to apply that to like the world that we live in. And even back in the maybe 60s and 70s, he was talking about like, we need to make things that last not because that's like the better way to make them, but also because of the environment. Like we need to think about the, how much stuff we're creating that winds up not being used or thrown out, you know? And mm. it's like, if you make a really good purchase decision, then that thing should last you for a long time in theory. Or that if you know the thing that you like, like that that uh, shaker bottle that you turned me on to that doesn't have the stupid ball in it, the vortex. Helix, Helix yeah. Vortex. Helix something, yeah. yeah. That thing is, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. That thing is like amazing. And I'm like, it's, it's not much more than a regular shaker bottle. And that those things are made like tanks. They can last forever. I wonder about that bottle though. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, we should go and maybe do the experiment on. Okay. Was that was the first, first time their instructions too are Hmm. put the water in. Yeah. And then put the stuff on top of the water. Yeah. And then. Right. Okay. And they're like, if you don't do that, this bottle doesn't work. <laughs> the instructions. It's yeah. in the customer support, everything. Okay. And then I realized too that I used to grab an empty cup with a little wire ball in it, put the protein powder in it. Yeah. Then put the water in. Yeah. And I'm wondering, honestly, if that shaker really does anything, or these guys just like nailed the, ins- they finally, <laughs> like all of it is a construct. <laughs> Or proper instructions that work with any thing at all. Okay. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Take any shaker, put the water in first, then like protein powder, then shake it. It's going to be fun. Okay. So I'm going to put this in the show notes, but this is called the Helimix 2.0 Vortex Blender Shaker Bottle. And they say that it, and I, I feel like well, when I first got it, I did shake it and it did look, it did look like there was it, it a little does, tornado does, inside does, of there. It does whirlpool. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> whirlpool. Makes they say that the shape of the bottle, which looks kind of like a, it, it's like it has, it has, it, it, it definitely looks like it would make a whirlpool. It does. We think it definitely does. It definitely does. Um, what, what made you pick since we're on this topic? 
when I was uh, hanging out at your house, you had a, you were making a little protein drink and I was like, Oh, what kind of protein powder do you use? Cause I've been using one for a while. And you know, my, my trainer's like, you gotta, you gotta switch it up or else your body gets angry and, and have a reaction to it or something, or you won't be able to have it. I said, well, I don't want that. So I said to you, what kind do you use? And you showed me the, the kind. And what made you pick that one? Like, because one of the things that's so important, I feel like this is way more important now at, as I'm 51 years old than it was when I was 41 or for sure 20, 30 is like, if you're like me, like I don't, I don't train at the level at the professional level that you train at, but I'm, (laughs) but I'm in the, I'm in the gym lifting weights three times a week. Yeah. And then I row three, usually four, but at least three times a week in addition to that. And I do other stretches and rolling and, you know, like body weight stuff. Um, and you know, if I can fit a yoga thing in, I'll try it. I want to try, I want to learn Tai Chi now. I feel like it's the thing I should learn, but you know, so like one of the things that I've learned is like, if, if I don't supplement with additional protein, then I will not build any muscle at all. I'll build no muscle at all. But if I supplement with protein, then I will I will build muscle the way that I used to when I was younger. And my um I was reading there's some formula that you put in, but like my formula said that I need to have at least between 130 and 150 uh grams of protein. Is that right? Grams? Something like that. Per, milligrams, grams, I don't know anymore. There's the same. It's the same. Uh, per day, especially if I'm training. And so anyway, you turn me on to this, this transparent labs one, which is great. The flavor's great. What, what, how did you find out about that one? Why are we, why are we both drinking that one now? Cause I just followed your advice. I figured you researched it. You must know what you're doing. You have like 10 degrees. No, it's, uh, don't, please tell me you researched it in depth. No, I was influenced by an influencer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's good stuff, though. No, meaning uh, um, um, there's a Paul Sklar. I don't know. I follow him on Instagram for years. He's he's in his fifties and fit. Um. Oh yeah, this guy. I've seen him around, like models or whatever. Yeah. Um, looking at this guy, it's like looking in the mirror for me. Anyway, hundred yeah, mm-hmm. percent. Just small. Like I thought I'm like, how'd they get this picture of me up there? That's great. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, no, but, but I've, I've, you know, I've used, um, you know, like when we were, uh, living overseas in Sweden, there was a UK company. It was just called bolt powders. Hmm. So I would just get like, I mean, for me, it's, uh, I'm generally looking for stuff that's, um, doesn't have a lot of shit in it. Oh, you mean bulk supplements or bulk.com? No, it was like literally like bulkpowders.co.uk or something. Oh, okay. Like, um, cause there's always this one on Amazon whenever I'm looking for any, any kind of powder and it, it comes up like bulk supplements yeah, and it's got that bulk, bulk.com bulk supplements. Different thing. Okay. These were, um, um, this one was bulkpowders.co.uk, but they shipped to Sweden hmm. is what it was. And, um, you know, there it was, you just sort of realized that all the, so all these guys end up using the same sort of set of, you know, GMP manufacturers and that right. kind of thing. Yeah. Sort of stuff. Um, the thing you have to predominantly look out in the space was, um, um, people that actually test their stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for me, it's like there's no, uh, there's not a lot of additives to something or anything else sort of like that. And I don't go crazy on protein powder. I mean, I literally, with my weightlifting workout, I do a scoop of protein powder with a banana mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then that's it. You know the re- the rest of what I eat throughout the course of a day is normal food. Um, 
you know, and um, um, that's 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 basically I I don't, like I don't really use it for meal replacement or anything else sort of like that. I mean, when you go out and you look at all this, this shit people tell us tell you to take, I mean, the only thing that's got some backing behind it at all is like whey protein mm. and um creatine right that's it and so um that's a blink blink mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the uh um and that's that's all I, I basically scoop of whey powder scoop of creatine eat a banana with it yeah call it that Done. Yeah, that's all all i do yeah you don't do like you don't make like a nutribullet with like super food blueberries in it or any of that stuff just the powder no i i just i just chew chew my blueberries <laughs> like a, like a, like a primate again back to that full circle just, <laughs> you just, just put them right in your mouth and chew them <laughs> I, I i do i use what nature gave me yeah yeah but i think going going back to your your point what's what's funny is um you take the imposter syndrome and you take all these sort of thoughts and everything mm-hmm, else mm-hmm. i mean um the kid and you know myself at least having done a, a phd in pathology which is the study of disease mm-hmm. um you know so f- at least familiar with diagnostic elements of it um yeah particularly when you look at mental elements there's been an entire um thing in the the yeah um, the dsm and Mm-hmm. It's an ICD or sort of whatever about uh, you know does something like imposter syndrome get in there or not or mm-hmm. stuff and you know for me it was always about um, how do I sort of understand these things in my own mind or what the own parameters are mm-hmm. or like and um, manage manage to mute that sneeze. You know, for me, it's, it's it sounds strange, but it's a little bit like um, um, it's a, like one way to think about it in a healthy way is like you have confidence, and then if you basically have inappropriate confidence uh, mm-hmm. or unwarranted confidence, mm-hmm. we have another word for, in English for that, which is um, arrogance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you know that you're being arrogant. And you're being arrogant anyway. We say now you have it's hubris, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of this confidence to arrogance to hubris spectrum, sort of if you will. The second your confidence is no longer warranted, you're arrogant. The second your arrogance has been pointed out, and you continue to be arrogant, you're hubric. Mm. Words mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. We can sit down and say things are complex. And complex has no value statement to it whatsoever. The second something is unwarrantedly complex, we call it complicated. Right. If right. you sit around and say somebody's purposefully making something, we've pointed out it's complicated. They're still doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. We'd almost refer to that person as like a saboteur in a company. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you're like you're you're. Why are you? You're making it complicated on purpose, right? You know, and um, you know, being super good at managing a complex thing can generate a lot of money, but you know, making things unwarrantedly complicated and even sort of almost doing a rude. Goldbart machine of it, and and it becomes a, a funny question of, of is the way that I'm feeling appropriate or not? Uh, um, because I mean, the way that you may be feeling could be because you're hungry, it could be because you're tired, it could right. be because a whole number of of things. I mean, we are a bag of biochemistry at the end of the day that's impacting our our brain, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, there's a there's a subtlety and a bit of a debate on the concept of distress when it comes to mental illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, now for me, and it's a little bit of where, um, you know, myself having spent a, a, you know, a number of years working in an emergency room and a trauma room and yeah. that sort of environment, you know, what you start almost intuiting is, is this person in distress or not? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because someone who's like relaxed and has no anxiety and so on, they're, they're very unlikely experiencing the early symptoms of a heart attack. Mm. Like people start getting stressed out. They start showing signs of distress as they're not feeling well. Right. 
right? And so the funny thing in, in, in the mental health space, there was, you know, even a debate around um, what, what distress means, uh, mm-hmm. sort of. And, and usually, um, you know, like, like people going and giving somebody like Donald Trump uh, a diagnosis like narcissism, you know, I'd say that he's, he is not mentally ill. He doesn't really have a diagnosis of nar- narcissism in my mind because mm-hmm. I would generally expect a patient to be showing signs of distress. Mm. Like he's not um, in the mental health care space. You'd say that somebody has these signs of distress to the point where they're impaired. Right. You know, that this, yeah. this illness that they're have is impairing them. There's mm-hmm. an impairment. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so you almost always have to look at, you know, the ultimate, like one line that you sort of cross when you start thinking things in your own head is, am I impaired? Meaning, right. is this really impacting my job, my life? You know, and so if you're doing things where I feel a certain way, so I'm not leaving the house, I feel a certain way, so uh-huh. I'm not, sh- I feel a certain way, so I'm soiling my pants. I mean, mm-hmm. like something in that where you'd say this person's life is impaired by these criteria. But I think there's another line that's before that that's a little more subtle, which is, um, is this distress that I'm feeling, is it appropriate? Mm-hmm. Now, the distress might show up as anxiety or panic or sort of whichever. But to me, like the, the, the sort of line where you cross is you may be sitting there and having a panic attack and feeling anxiety, but it's something that you feel if nobody else can observe it. Mm-hmm. It's just you. The second they can observe it, I would call those things distress. Right. So you're like, you're sitting there and you're saying, that person over there is showing signs of distress. Right. Something is right. Yeah. And then you have to ask yourself, is your distress appropriate now that you've gone from something in your own head to something that's now externally visible to other people? Mm-hmm. Is it appropriate or not? And then you go to the next step of, is it impairing you or, 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 or not? you know, sort of like in it. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that people think in their own head. And, you know, that that's, you just got to sort of be okay with different things popping up in your own head and different <laughs> feelings popping up at a given period of time. And yeah. given this, given that, there's, there's a certain discipline in not having it show externally. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, doing that. And then there's another level of discipline and not having it go and impair your life, you know, sort of in it. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, you have, um, you know, funny, funny examples of like, um, um, uh, like who was the, um, the, uh, not, not that I'm promoting this in any sort of way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. but it was, uh, yeah, it was William Stewart Halstead hmm. um, was, of course, uh, like the the is a surgeon in John Hopkins. He's like the creator of the radical mastectomy and a number of other surgical things. Hmm. Um, um, he was also doing speedballs every day, you know, <laughs> meaning like a cocaine, oh, yeah. heroin mixture. Um. Oh, the guy was like a, a drug addict for 30, 40 years of his career. I mean, he oh, lived wow. into like his 70s, I think. And, and, um, um, or lived to like 70, mm. uh, you know, in it. Um, but, um, but, you know, like a very <laughs> surgical drug addict, you know, meaning like yeah. his, 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 his uh, use of, and we're talking about something that's like, you know, late, late 19th century. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the guy was mixing up cocaine and heroin on the regular and would do it and then go off and <laughs> was, you know, literally like, I don't know, the, the, the chairman of surgery at John Hopkins, you know, wow. in that sort of period of time. Yeah. Uh, okay. So he had an addiction, clearly. Mm-hmm. He had issues sort of in it. Um, um, 
you know, it was, you know, and, and it's an extreme example of in a number of ways, it was normalized because these weren't illegal drugs back then. Mm. Doctor, he was treating himself sort of like it. Um, you know, it was one of these ones where, um, you know, was he impaired during surgery? Yeah. You know, was it impaired? Yeah. You know, but, um, um, you know, throughout his entire professional life, he was addicted to cocaine and, well, it was probably morphine, not quite heroin, um, in that period of time because, right. Yeah, it was morphine. It would have been morphine because heroin, by the way, codeine, if you, if you, um, if you methylate codeine, you make morphine. And then if you acetylate codeine, you make heroin. And heroin came, I think, after World War One. Okay. Um, because it was meant to actually be a less addictive version of morphine. Mm. Um, so it's probably cocaine and morphine. Um, but, you know, the, uh, the moral of the story is, is, I don't know, you know, maybe there's some truth to the whole, um, take the way that you're feeling about something and don't always trust it. Um, you can acknowledge it. It's not like I'm saying you have to repress it or you right. know, whatever the you know, people like to go and do. But, um, but I, I don't, I don't know. You have to, in your own head, you have to sort of sit down and say, you know, do I understand how I'm feeling right now? And. And, you know, is it impairing me? Is it sort of appropriate? Is mm -hmm. it sort of this? Is it sort of that? You know, if it's the kind of thing where if you're not even aware of it and, you well, know, yeah, the awareness like, has got to be the first step. I mean, you're like, you're ill, you right, know? Right. So, I don't know. I mean, you know, at least, at least when I was, at least when I was going through, you know, the thing of, Oh, do I am I gonna be a doctor or not and mm -hmm. working in that sort of area? I mean, you know, the comment people used to always make in the emergency room was, you know, crazy people don't know they're crazy. Mm -hmm. And that was like eye opening to me because then step one is just the fact that I'm having this thought of am I crazy means I'm probably not. Probably not okay. gonna be put in so, that category. Yeah, yeah. So then what am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? does it sort of do this? You know, you sort of can, you got to come up with that own sort of heuristic in your own head, mm -hmm. you know, sort of around it. Um, but yeah. 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 I feel like that's good for our, our first one. What do you think? Thanks. Fine, Dan. All right. I mean, it's just you can be talking. Well, we'll I'll, I'll see you again uh, next time then. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Have a good week. Too. Are you hanging up on me now? Or are you just no, I'm just going to hit stop on the recorder. Yeah, that sounds fine to me. Okay.